this notion that we as society and culture take care of each other. So elements of hospitality can really influence the design, the public spaces that we are designing and how we're thinking of overlapping those spaces for multi-use for affordability. The richness in this lab is is recognizing our, our affordable housing funding model kind of is broken. It doesn't really allow for us to respect the different type of cultures and family styles, mm-hmm. especially as, as we see a large uh, number of immigrants to our cities and to our communities that need this sort of response. I'm John Lewis, and you're listening to 360 Degree City, a podcast where we talk to people who are working to make cities better. Our hope is that after each episode, you'll start to see your own city from a slightly different angle. How can we create affordable and culturally appropriate housing for multi-generational Muslim families within a housing system that prioritizes small units and maximizing profits? Throughout the next few months, we're exploring this question as part of the Halal Housing Lab, a solutions lab that is funded by the Canada Mortgage and Housing Corporation. With our partners at Islamic Family, or IFSA, Another Way, SAS Architecture, Ask for a Better World, and our team at Intelligent Futures, We're working to find new and innovative housing solutions that not only accommodate the needs of multi-generational Muslim families, but can also improve the housing market for everyone in the country. This is the second episode of the five-part Halal Housing podcast series, exploring the various challenges and opportunities that impact housing affordability within the Islamic community in Edmonton, Alberta. To understand how we might innovate and improve future housing projects, we wanted to start today with one of the foundational components of affordable housing, the built form. Today, I'll chat with three of our lab partners, recovering architect and sustainability expert Shifraz Kaba of Ask for a Better World, servant of servants Omar Yaqob of Islamic Family, and architect Sherry Shorten of SAS Architecture to better understand some key barriers and factors of success for housing multi-generational Muslim families. In our explorations of housing options that don't fit into traditional Canadian models, we've begun to uncover how housing can be thought of differently to reflect a diversity of cultures and family forms, and what it takes to make our vision of a halal housing come to life. So let's dive in. Hi, I'm Shafraz Kaba. I'm a recovering architect that now mostly uh, works through sustainability in terms of helping clients figure out the whole carbon equation how to make buildings uh, and and hopefully our society more responsive to creating a zero carbon world. Perfect. Okay. So uh, yeah, let's, let's dive into what we're exploring through the Halal Housing Lab. I wonder if you could walk us through some of the housing options we've explored to date uh, in the lab to try and affordably house uh, multi-generational Muslim families. So we started off by workshopping with uh, some end users and some partners of IFSA, uh, the multicultural health brokers who have kind of an idea of what people are looking for. And mm. uh, what IFSA is trying to do is look at how large families typically, and mostly newcomer families uh, to Edmonton, are, are finding a really hard time with housing options that have multiple bedrooms like over four bedrooms because mm-hmm. their average family size is like seven people or more mm-hmm. they're having a hard time finding the affordability of those units and and even the location uh, within the city that has access uh, for the most part for amenities and services as well as uh, places of worship 
So we have started off by looking at sites that came up as opportunities from the city of Edmonton for purchase, some in various parts of the city, one in Holyrood, uh, one by the Northlands Colise- old Northlands Coliseum, and, and sort of investigating how we could fit as many units on those sites as possible with uh, sort of the, the idea of making them really cater to the large multi-generational families with sort of the, the idea of proximity uh, to services and an ability for uh, things to be done a little differently. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So one of the guiding principles uh, of our lab is fostering respect for our, our residents. So wondering if you could explain how respect can manifest itself in the built form through buildings that aren't seen as sort of less than. So, you know, we talked with with some of our other collaborators uh, in the lab about affordable housing being sort of a, a less than housing development and folks that, that live in it should be happy to have a roof over their head full stop. So how, how does that, that idea of respect for our residents manifest itself in the build form? Um, great question. The, the built form for large families and also families that we've been talking to look at how, how they gather. And mm. uh, it's not just large families needing multiple bedrooms, but there, there's a whole idea of you know, engagement and and sort of entertaining people around food and how uh, we are creating spaces that, you know, respect uh, the idea of where the kitchen should be, how the kitchen may or may not be separated from the living space and how the living space is actually really purposeful uh, for people to gather and, and sit typically on the floor or on cushions rather than on tables to then share a meal. Mm-hmm. And in certain, certain families, we've heard the women are actually separated from the men uh, in a, in a risk, in a way that is respectful of how, how they actually structure their family, how it's almost matriarchal <laughs> in mm-hmm. nature and, and how the meal is where they all come together. And it's really uh, interesting to see how there's not just a living space for sitting and and sort of socializing, but there's a a separate space that is almost about where you share the meal and have uh, kind of this larger family space. And uh, it needs to be adjacent to the kitchen. It needs to be sort of adjacent to that living space. And so it's trying to do a bit of... Uh, better design work in how those integrate together, but mm-hmm. also respects the amount of space we can actually develop. <laughs> mm-hmm. We have to balance uh, on the affordability side, the, the spaces that are required with the ability to actually build that amount of square footage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you could see right away, you know, your description about gathering and hospitality and everything just ties very quickly into the uh, proximity and the context of where these developments are that you were talking about the, you know, close, close to transit, close to family and friends, close to, you know, the, the, the food and, and uh, the kind of ingredients that you need to, to be comfortable to host the people in a space that's designed for, for your unique needs. So um yeah, you mentioned balance a few times, and I just keep having this vision of any one of us in the lab just like on a tightrope trying to balance a number of things all at once. And, and maybe it's also transformational space. 
So I think mm. what we're on the on the cusp of exploring is, you know, recognizing families change over time. So maybe they don't need right. multiple bedrooms years later when kids have grown up and go away to school or uh, mm-hmm. or have families of their own. Maybe that's the transition of you know adapting space and needs or or having elderly parents move in uh, or having an understanding of a multifamily type of living arrangements. I think that the richness in this lab is is recognizing our our affordable housing funding model kind of is broken. It doesn't really mm-hmm. allow for us to respect the different type of cultures and family styles, mm-hmm. especially as as we see a large uh, number of immigrants to our cities and to our communities that need this sort of response. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Throughout this solutions lab process, we've talked about the diversity of culture and the dynamic nature of families and housing needs over time. So to ground our understanding of the North American model for housing and its inability to meet more equitable and diverse housing needs, we've also looked around the world to understand the rich traditions of Islamic culture. So next, Omar will introduce us to how culture has manifested itself in the built form of homes over hundreds of years. My name is Amir Yacoub. I get to serve the team at Islamic Family. Two words that really, like, I really appreciate that we, we explored through our exploration was the salamat and the haramat mm-hmm. as parts of talking about a home, right? These are words borrowed uh, from Turkish. But the salamat is a part of the home that is in Turkey, a traditional part of homes. And it's this place where a stranger from the street could walk into a home at random time of the night, put their head on a pillow, and the, the rest of the home would be separate and uh, insulated from that but they would know oh we have a guest we can drop off food in theirs Mm -hmm. the household activity could continue but they had actually designed their home this with this central piece of like honoring a guest and when we think about that concept what does it look like in in our canadian environment right to create that piece of home which you want to share with someone else how would it Mm -hmm. make you feel feel like oh my home is this place that i want to share with others Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm here to honor a guest, right? Like if we think about that person who's a newcomer and you put them in the position, not of feeling like they are a deject or, you know, there's this recipient, but that they are a contributor, you know, how are we setting them up for greater contribution to the rest of society? How are we setting them up for success? How are we setting them up for pride, for a greater sense of self-worth, right? We build things and when we build them with beauty, we set people up. To, to flourish. To further explore the themes of hospitality and setting residents and the community up to flourish through affordable housing, we'll speak to our lab architecture expert, Sherry Shorten. My name is Sherry Shorten and I'm an Edmonton architect and I work mainly in the area of housing and infill in our city. One of the, the things that's been interesting with, with the lab exploration is the idea of hospitality as, as a, a key piece of the way a lot of Muslim families live. Maybe you could, could you maybe expand on that and some of the explorations that, that your team's been, been undertaking there? Sure. Um, I think uh, that sort of falls in line also with intergenerational living mm-hmm. hospitality and the, this notion that we as society and culture take care of each other. So elements of hospitality can really influence the design 
um, the public spaces that we are designing and how we're thinking of overlapping those spaces for multi-use for affordability, for one thing. But those are very important spaces where the community can come together and share um, not only within your family, but within the greater community. You can share resources for child minding. Mm -hmm. Um, in the day, those sorts of aspects of hospitality come in and um, also a welcoming idea of welcoming the community into the space um, just as a matter of, you know, social connections and and making life easier and and making those connections, making life simpler for people, especially newcomers. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Great. Can you maybe speak to some of that disconnect in terms of what's out there in 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 the housing world that exists that's currently getting built as we speak and where there's gaps that we've seen in in terms of the kinds of families that that we've been exploring with with this lab i think this is not just being explored in this lab but i think it's what we're seeing across the country is that the development that's going on right now is building a lot of one and two bedroom units so we're building housing within this model to maximize the number of units, to maximize, you know, uh, the number of housing units that are being built because we need them. But one bedroom and two bedroom units are really, I don't think, what society is looking for. And that is demonstrated very clearly in the lab. When you look at newcomers coming to Canada, when you look at the cultural values of newcomers, even of our current society, that seniors are, are concerned about living alone. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're creating housing that are one bedroom units that are really um, isolating environments. And so this lab shows us, you know, with large families coming to Canada, there is a need for larger size plans and a different way of looking at how we uh, design our housing mm-hmm. to accommodate the cultures and the society of today. As we look to address the complexities of social, economic, and environmental crises facing our built environments, density is often advocated as a foundational component to creating sustainable and equitable and livable cities. Essentially, the more people that live in a particular area, the more efficient and sustainable our cities can be. As the world sees the impact of rapid urbanization and population growth, very different ideas of density have emerged from the sprawling suburbs of North America to over 1 billion people worldwide living in informal settlements, to dense urban centers seen across Asia and Europe. Next, Omar and Sherry will begin to explore the intersection between culture and density experienced in the lab so far. When we're looking at building housing projects, oftentimes we reduce it to a few key numbers. It's like, tell me about what your unit count is. You know, and that's that's one small example that I think is worth unpacking, right? Because when we talk about unit count as the the way to define a project, what that leads to is very individualized units that are actually more expensive. If we talk about head count, you know, we might have fewer units but more people living. We might have far more density. And I think Sherry's numbers show that like if you mm. prioritize head count rather than unit count, you can get 30% more people living mm-hmm. in the same space. You know, that's really interesting to me. You know, you're getting this double-digit return on the same plot of land by just designing differently. But when we're modeling or when we're talking to financing groups or CMATE C, you know, they, they're still fixated on what's the unit count. Oh, yep. this is too expensive for the unit count you have. They can't see that, oh, hey, that, actually your head count is really high. This is actually a better 
the value. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's a shift in mindset and exposes some new opportunities. And then even that, that still keeps it at the numbers base, let alone if we start talking about human flourishing. Sherry, can you maybe explain the difference in the impact on a pro forma if you have a bunch of one and two bedroom units in a building versus a bunch of three and four bedroom units in a building and what that does to the overall economic performance of, of, a, of a development. Exactly. Okay, sure. Uh, that, that's uh, really an interesting piece of the work that we did. We did have an opportunity to explore designing larger units and the impact of it. So we looked at a test site and developed apartment buildings and row house buildings, and we developed three and four bedroom units to look at the size and scale of them. When we compared the number of people that we can get in a building that is modeled and designed for one and two bedroom units, the three and four bedroom unit model actually generates more density in the building. Having more density in the building means that we don't have to build another building uh, to house those, those people. So if there's 40 more people in a three, four bedroom building than there is in a one, two bedroom building. This is actually more economical and more affordable to build that more dense building. Of course, it has to be built to accommodate that number of people and and with the amenity spaces and whatnot. But apples to apples, the the more dense solution is a more affordable solution. Mm-hmm. And and it's also when we think about the isolating factor you talked about with, say, a bunch of one bedrooms and folks being able to live uh, together and there's that social connection. I'm sure somebody out there could run some studies about the impact on on society and on families just to have that social connection, which there's lots of trends and information that are showing that people are feeling more isolated, even as we emerge from the pandemic. So you you articulated that the three and four bedrooms, actually those buildings, the, the overall buildings can house more people. So as we understand density, it changes a little bit because we typically think of units. But if we think about human beings, there's more human beings per square kilometer, let's say, um, if we were to, to take that approach. But those units aren't getting built. So what what's the impact if on the on the pro forma in terms of buildability and profitability from the the builder developer perspective and why aren't these things getting built? Well, I think that that it starts with the market housing mm-hmm. starts at market housing and market housing should be affordable as well. All mm-hmm. of Canadians need affordable housing. So the marketability aspect means that the more units you sell the more money you make as a developer. So the more units you can get into the development means the better profitable outcomes on the short term for the development when it turns over and sells. There's more profitability there. Mm-hmm. It identifies a challenge of there are real societal arguments to be made to accommodate more folks to live together in these, you know, three bedroom, four bedroom designed for that. So we're not just cramming people into smaller spaces. We're actually accommodating. So they have a a solid livable experience that needs to be stitched together with the, this market reality that doesn't, doesn't jive with that. Sustainability is a theme that connects across these ideas of livability and affordability. 
Sustainability is a core principle to the Halal Housing Lab and an integral component to the work of Shifraz at Ask for a Better World. Shifraz, could you share some of the opportunities and considerations for integrating sustainable building solutions into a lab like this, both in terms of affordable housing and multi-generational housing? For sure. Yeah, the, the whole sustainability and you know how, how to make it not just environmentally sustainable, but economically sustainable is core mm-hmm. to this. One, one of the environmentally sustainable ideas is considering maybe we should be retrofitting existing buildings or looking for apartment buildings uh, that IFSA could purchase and redevelop for those larger family units. So um, in the Affordable Housing Solutions Lab, which I was involved with last year, that was one of the key drivers of considering the most sustainable building is one that already exists. And frankly, if designed and considered in a way that integrates different building systems, we can actually build far less costly units if we are able to find sometimes those unicorns out there that are, have good <laughs> structure, that have really good bones, but to um, really improve on their mechanical and electrical systems with a, a building envelope, an exterior upgrade that helps make them uh, really viable to, to run and inexpensive over the operating costs. So we have found a few considerations, but they are those unique hard to find ones because typically what we see on the market right now for sale are buildings that really have challenges and would actually cost quite a lot more to to bring up to code at the very least let alone get to uh, a higher sustainability bar we we do recognize the world has to get off carbon and fossil uh, based fuels by 2050 so that's less uh, less than a life cycle of a building system for them. Mm-hmm. So we want to be able to provide solutions that aren't going to require a major mechanical retrofit in 27 years when they're, uh, when the cost of natural gas will be pretty much out of uh, the realm of anyone. I think some of the exploration and hopeful development will consider, you know, all electric systems or how to how to cater to uh, building systems where people know for the long term, because they have renewable energy, their utility bills aren't going to cause a financial burden. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And when you think about those uh, those unicorns, if if we work under the assumption that it's sort of the the typical Western Canadian view of a of an apartment, so we could probably safely assume one and two bedrooms. Is there a particular um, consideration of layouts to accommodate that adaptability, you know, to could, you know, units compressed into or combined to be create larger units, any, any of those considerations in terms of the, the unicorn kind of solution that uh, we'd looking for. The, the good thing about residential structures is they're, they're fairly flexible and they're fairly, they could be, reconfigurable quite easily hmm. they're, they're not necessarily having complex mechanical and plumbing systems where it'd be quite uh, challenging like in an office building to reconfigure so frankly it's a matter of finding the the right age and structure uh, of a building that allows for that adaptation and retrofit as long as the 
you know, floor to ceiling height allows us to put in ventilation that brings in fresh air. As long as, you know, we could take down a wall to enlarge, say, two two bedroom units into one big five or six bedroom unit uh, and rearrange the space. It's not that hard to actually shift some of the plumbing. The only hard part are plumbing stacks and toilets, but that too, you know, with, with some imagination, we can reconfigure <laughs> and, and, and basically create the right spaces given, you know, typically these smaller buildings are made out of wood construction. So they're fairly flexible to begin with. It's when we get into larger buildings, like the things that are over four or five stories, right. uh, they typically tend to not be made out of wood. They tend to be a little bit more restrictive in how we can reconfigure them. So we do have a lot of walk-ups, yeah. two or three-story, maybe four-story walk-ups in our city that are itching for redevelopment. We're also considering townhouses or, or sort right. of the side-by-sides that can also work if you can even think of how to develop a basement space for additional bedrooms mm-hmm. or how a group of townhouses can create a community or a multi-generational project for people. So it, it's not just sort of the apartment building model we're trying to look at. With that, we'll give the final word today to Sherry to express the opportunities in our communities for this kind of built form and approach to housing discussed today beyond the Muslim intergenerational families that we focused on in this lab. I think that First Nations themselves, their cultural ways are extended larger families and that work is being looked at by First Nations. I think that Canadians in general, our aging population has a general concern about us building one and two bedroom units. And, the, you know, like I said, as you are get older and you step down, do we really want to be moving into isolating ourselves? I have been in, engaged in housing for, you know, since 2016. And I think what brought me to the table was just knowing this need that the, the way that we design and build our houses is just not meeting society's needs in terms of sustainability, in terms of environmental conditions that we're facing, in terms of climate change, more resilient type of building architecture. So the building of a, a home for more people is going to be a more expensive building, but it also can be a longer living building that offers a lot more to society and gives back to society in the long run as well. Mm -hmm. Perfect. Okay, last question that we ask all our guests. Tell me a city you love and why you love it. I'm going to pick Barcelona. I really, really liked uh, my time in Barcelona uh, and visiting that city because it has a density, but also a human scale that is really quite phenomenal. Uh, Most of this city is like six to eight stories in sort of building height. And, and then has uh, this amazing avenue or boulevard, Las Ramblas, that kind of connects some of the really great historic communities. It is located sort of, you know, near the sea, but also proximity to mountains that also has amazing cultural uh, institutions and really, I don't know, speaks to, to me of uh, the amazing, not just Spanish but Catalan culture. So there's mm-hmm. a very unique identity that you know comes out when you visit uh, and you, and you are able to to go to 
not just the historic places of interest, but they have amazing contemporary architecture and design. And you could tell that they have a really good sense of what good design is. Okay, I love Seattle. Seattle, I think, is the city that has embraced innovation. And they are many years ahead of many other cities in terms of where they're at, in terms of their regulations and their laws. And so I have, you know, spoken to people in Seattle and brought um, a planner to Edmonton to talk to them about what they are doing and what they do differently. But really, they've changed their regulations early on and understanding that innovation is changing is changing the way we, we build and the way we do things in many ways. And so if we don't change our regulations, then we really are just repeating the past, <laughs> the mistakes of the past. Mm-hmm. And while we have to respect the traditions and preserve many things of our past, that is the balance. Um, and I think that that city has taken that challenge to heart. Stay tuned for the next installment of the Halal Housing Series, where we'll dive into Islamic values that can inform how we think about housing and the programming needed to support newcomers and create a sense of community with multi-generational Muslim families. If you know of any non-traditional affordable housing models that you think might be relevant to the exploration we're talking about in this Halal Housing Lab, drop us a note. You can email us at hello at the numbers 360 degree.city or on social media at the numbers 360 degree city. We'd love to hear about them. 360 degree city is created by our team at intelligent futures. To learn more about the work we do, go to intelligentfutures.ca. I'm John Lewis. Thanks for stopping by.